This is the SF Productions Podcast Network. How I Got My Wife to Read Comics Episode 602 Can a comic book collector of over 30 years get his wife to read them? Will she let him keep them? Learn more in this podcast. Let's go to the comic book lounge with Mindy and Mark. Komoda! Junkyard Joe in Vietnam, Lower Deckers become the Drac Pack, Brain Tease figures it all out, and news from New York City. This is how I got my wife to read comics for Sunday, October 16th, 2022. I'm Mark. And I'm Mindy. Just a reminder, you can go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get our feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. You can subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com, like us at facebook.com slash sfppn, follow us on Twitter at sfppn, check out Instagram at sfpodnetwork, or call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Miracle Man, number zero from Marvel, by Gaiman, Buckingham, Stegman, Mayer, Templeton, Carey, Davidson, Momoko, Davison, Aaron, and you. A primer on Miracle Man. In 1953, a UK publisher was reprinting Fawcett's Captain Marvel stories along with other Fawcett publications when a legal decision came down determining that Billy Batson was too similar to Superman. For decades, DC sued anyone who created a flying hero with a cape. Not wanting to drop their other Fawcett reprints, the UK publisher had Mick Anglo create a very similar character named Marvel Man, who used the magic word Komoda, atomic backwards, to transform. The whole concept was a direct Captain Marvel knockoff, including Captain Marvel Jr., Young Marvel Man, and Mary Marvel kid Marvel Man. You would think that Marvel Comics would have something to say about this, except Marvel wasn't Marvel yet. They wouldn't get that name until 1961. This went on for several years until changes in British law allowed U.S. comics to be imported, killing off the Marvel Man family. Cut to 1982 and Alan Moore. He was a huge fan of Marvel Man and got a chance to reboot the character. Of course, being the 80s, it was very gritty as well as being meta with his alter ego Mickey, Michael Moran, as an adult with the family having dreams of being a superhero. By 1985, the series had moved to Eclipse Comics and renamed Miracle Man to avoid legal issues with Marvel. Moore moved on, and a young Neil Gaiman took up the series. He had huge plans for three arcs, the Golden Age, the Silver Age, the Dark Age. Golden Age was published with Silver Age underway, and then Eclipse went under, at which point the rights went into legal limbo. Todd McFarlane purchased the rights to Eclipse, which he decided included Miracle Man, and began to introduce the character into his Hellspawn comic in 2001. The same year, Gaiman began a multi-year legal battle to clear up the legal status of the character. Gaiman's profit from Marvel's 1602 series went to that legal fund. In 2009, it was determined that Mick Anglo still owned the rights, and all the changes in ownership since the 50s were illegitimate. 
The same year, Marvel announced that they had purchased the rights from Anglo, and after some additional wrangling, began running a premium reprint of the original in Eclipse stories from 2014 to 2017, finishing out the Golden Age arc. That year, it was announced that Gaiman would return for a new Silver Age arc using the concepts and some stories he had created 30 years prior. More legal problems delayed it again, along with COVID, with the solicited issues canceled. In 2021, Marvel announced that Miracle Man would appear in the Marvel Universe. Finally, this past June, it was announced again that the Silver Age would officially come to your local comic shop this month. With all that being said, this reintroduction issue begins with a rapper story by Gaiman and Buckingham, which feels more like a Sandman issue. As referenced in the previous volumes, Miracle Man has essentially become God, creating a utopia on Earth. He spends his day looking for inspiration to improve the world, dancing with holographic partners, talking to dolphins, and going to a massive library where he reads comic books. This takes us into a set of short stories. Blood on the Snow sees goons protecting a doomsday nuke only for it to be taken out by a 90s version of our hero. Whisper in the Dark sees Miracle Man villains the Warpsmiths turned into a cyberpunk Sam Spade who solves a murder case on a space station. Komodo's Miracle sees an acolyte given a vision that ends up killing him and birthing something new. Miracle Funnies is a set of comic strip parodies of Doonesbury, Life in Hell, Little Nemo in Slumberland, and Crazy Cat, all with Miracle Man characters. And the man whose dreams were miracles goes full-on meta, where an old man in a senior living facility, maybe Mick Anglo, is visited by his creation. It doesn't go well for either of them. Miracle Man, The Silver Age Number 1, comes out later this month, hopefully. Junkyard Joe Number 1 from Image and Mad Ghost by Johns, Frank, and Anderson. Jeff Johns promised that his Geiger comic would generate a whole universe of titles, and this is the initial offering. Vietnam, 1972. A new soldier is assigned to a squad, one who doesn't seem to speak very much. Maury Davis is sending another letter to his girl, who he plans to marry when his tour is done. Maury tries to make friends with a new guy, but gets no response. The squad is sent out to the jungle at night, and they get lost. There's an ambush, and one of them is taken out. The new guy expertly takes out the enemies and then falls on a booby trap. He gets up and is a robot. The rest of the squad agree that they want the robot on their side, and they roll out. The next day, they're playing cards while the robot keeps watch. They invite him to join them and quickly takes their money. Later, a water buffalo wanders towards them. It's a trap. The squad is taken out with the exception of the robot and Maury. Orders are transmitted to the robot. Mission complete. Return to base. Instead, the robot finds and kills the enemy, including civilians. It then shuts down. In a command center, scientists tell Nixon and Kissinger what just happened, which convinces them that the war is unwinnable. Cut to Mori in a mass unit being treated by who is clearly supposed to be Hawkeye Pierce. Hawkeye tells Mori to stop talking about a robot or he will label him as a mental case. We then see Mori doing some cartoons, one of which involves a robot trooper. Now, we know that the main series will take place in current day where Mori has become a successful comic book artist of Junkyard Joe with the real thing returning. Star Trek Lower Decks number two from IDW by North and Fanoglio. 
Our Lower Deck squad is deciding what to do with the vampire they accidentally unleashed in the holodeck. Follow orders? Let Starfleet handle it? Or fix it themselves? Of course, they choose the latter. This becomes a larger issue when an alert tells them that Dracula reactivated himself. Meanwhile, the away team is about to be burned at the stake by villagers who were supposed to be warp-capable. Every time our team keeps trying to explain their way out of it, the villagers misinterpret it as witchcraft. One of them wants to know how the doctor made herself so furry before they are burned. Wouldn't that be funny? Wouldn't it be hilarious if we all became cat people, ironically, not because it's awakening something in me I didn't know I had? The fires are lit, and the captain reluctantly tells Shax to unleash the beast. Back to the Lower Decks team, where Mariner is diverted from their vampire quest to do her maintenance tasks, which she does in record time, and then joins them in the holodeck, only to find them having a picnic with said Dracula. Turns out Drac is a nice guy, and has already become a mentor for Boimler, now sporting a cape. Did you know they're extremely practical? I had no idea. Drac mentions all his experiences over the centuries, and Boimler goes into the Mr. Ataz scenario. Wouldn't living in an ice age be better with a comfy cape? Back to the surface, where Shax is kicking ass. And then back to the picnic, where they're all enjoying blood, strawberry daiquiris for the living. Drac takes them to his castle, filled with paintings of all his adventures. He's the Zelig of Star Trek. Mariner realizes that Drac would be a great addition to the crew, but he demurs, saying that his intended biting of her from the last issue cannot be forgiven. She replies that a single mistake shouldn't ruin your life. Back to the surface, where a spaceship arrives. Turns out the natives live on two continents, one with warp and the other without. They have their own internal prime directive, and the Cerritos crew has accidentally broken it. They're taken prisoner, and the natives order the Cerritos destroyed since they facilitated the infraction. Back in the holodeck, Rutherford's hand is injured, and a little bit of blood hits the floor. The lower deck squad run out to see what's happening, leaving Drac and the real blood. He tastes it and goes all bad guy, asking the computer about the Cerritos, the crew, and their vulnerabilities. Minor Threats number 2 from Dark Horse by Oswald, Bloom, Hepburn, Herring, and Picos. Most of this issue introduces us to Brain Tease, one of Playtime's new gang. She brought them together to take out villain Stickman, who killed hero sidekick Kid Dusk before the Insomniac does, and to stop the other heroes from tearing apart the city. Brain Tease, as a young boy, realized he could visualize a solution to any puzzle, and we watch him do so as his father beat him, coming up with the specifics to take revenge. Now he's using those same abilities to determine the whereabouts of Stickman. He recreates his jail cell in his mind, using the others to set up a room, and then ordering silence. Brain Tease works it out. He's at a local nightclub. But how can they get there with all the supers on patrol? They take a method that is considered invisible, a crosstown bus. The group sees a super beating up a villain along the way, and Playtime realizes the hero's goal is to get as many potential victims off the street before an insane insomniac takes them all out. They get to the nightclub where a meta bouncer refuses to let them in. Brain Tease orders him to let them in, and he gets his head bashed in. We get a flashback where Brain Tease is easily taken out by Kid Dusk. Snake Stalker suggests another way to get in. He signs up for a fight club under the actual club, which provides a distraction to get the rest of them in. 
Instead of looking for stick man, Brain Tease schmoozes with the clientele. It's a moot point. Kid Dusk's body is rolled out in a shopping cart. The whole thing was Stickman's plan to bring Insomniac to him. The place becomes a madhouse, and the team follows Stickman's goons outside, who then proceed to beat the crap out of Brain Tease. Playtime attacks, only for the Insomniac to join the fight. A stray shot takes out Playtime, and Brain Tease, of course, saw it coming. This past weekend was the last big comic show of the year, New York Comic Con. DC announced the next big event, Lazarus Planet, spinning out of the events of Batman vs. Robin. There's also Waller vs. Wildstorm, yada yada yada. The Superman family is taking over Action Comics, which is becoming an anthology series. That didn't work well the last time they tried it, Action Comics Weekly from the late 80s. DC also announced a new level for their DC Infinite Digital Comics subscription, Ultra. This is the equivalent to Disney's line jumping passes. The normal subscription gives you comics six months after they hit the stands. Ultra cuts that down to one month and puts DC in direct competition with your LCS. What DC and the comics industry doesn't seem to understand is that it's far too easy to either share digital subscriptions among a lot of people or just plain pirate them. Meanwhile, HBO Max is taking Scooby-Doo's Velma and giving her a solo mature series. By the way, Velma is now South Asian, which is depressingly creating a firestorm. Wednesday Adams is also getting a solo series via Tim Burton and Netflix, with Fred Armisen as Uncle Fester. The final season of Star Trek Picard is throwing in the kitchen sink of fan service not only bringing back the rest of the TNG cast, but also hologram baddie Moriarty and Data's evil twin, Lore. Announcer Bot, how can the folks find us online? Go to sfpodcastnetwork.com to get the feed, other SF podcasts, and blogs. Subscribe via your favorite podcast catcher and leave us a review. You can email sfpodcastnetwork at gmail.com. Like us at Facebook.com slash SFPPN. Follow us on Twitter at SFPPN. Check out Instagram at SFPodNetwork. Call us at 614-321-9737. That's 614-321-9SFP. Back to you, Mark. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.